is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. All right. Okay, now you know that there was a lot of chapters again tonight. There was a lot of chapters, and so we are gonna, we're going to hit on them all. We really will, because I think it's very important we see David's life. Now, next week, if you've looked ahead, I've got you reading the whole second Samuel. And, and, uh, but I, I want you to um, read that in... Uh, how, do, how should I put it? Um, with your questions and kind of just scan certain things. Not that there isn't a word that's not important, but um, I I know that this is the the the. Qu- The title of next week is The Reign of David. And so next week, we're going to kind of cover all of his 40 years of reigning. And and maybe you got a little confused with how many times was he anointed. Did you wonder how many times that that David was anointed? He was anointed first by Samuel. and, And then he was anointed the second time when he became the king of Judah and um, he, that was after Saul died, and then he became the king of Judah, but Saul's son was king over Israel, and then when he was king, then he was anointed to be king over Israel. So there was a split. Now, the real split doesn't happen until after Solomon, but there is a difference between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. They've already started the the. Um, the split, but it will eventually really split then. But that's why it's so many anointings. So, um, but as we start tonight, we're starting with um, chapter 21. This is how David gets to have a heart like God's. And, and, and so the first week of our study, the 16 chapters, when we looked at the dark of Israel, we saw how dark the times were, the time of the judges, and, and it just seemed again to be such a, a difficult time, and, and the people were so evil, and they were, they were um, falling into idolatry, and, and it just didn't seem to be gelling. And yet we know that there was just like now with us in the darkest of times, don't ever think that he is not got a little light on for you. There is always hope. And so we saw in those 16 chapters that he was still weaving a, a gold thread of his son through all that, using, using people that, you know, I mean, he, like I said before, he doesn't have much to work with, but sometimes don't, they, don't you feel that with yourself? I think, man, he doesn't have a whole lot to work with, but if you've got a willing heart, then he will take our frailties and our inadequacies and he can use us. But he, even during that dark time, he was weaving Jesus through. He was bringing his line through. And then, of course, last week we saw David when he finally was anointed king after the whole ordeal with Saul. And, and we see how David, he was, when he had his eyes fixed on the Lord, I mean, what he wasn't able to do. There he is as a little shepherd boy, practically. And then he is able to kill the, bro- the bear. He's able to kill the lion. And then he stands up and says, in the name of the Lord God, I can handle Goliath. 
over nine foot tall, however how much that man weighed, but he was a big man, and he, with one stone, he got him. How he knew that the Lord would do that through him. See, that's what we got to remember. Look what the Lord, because the Lord hasn't changed. He's working with a human being. David is a human being, just like you and I. Lived in dark times when it doesn't look like there's a lot of, a lot of good going on. We got to remember there is good going on. He is still working. He is still with us. And when we are strong in him, we can handle it. And David proved it. He's such a good, he's such a good example. Such a good example for us. And then we see, I know the whole ordeal. Now Saul is jealous and we saw how that emotion, when emotions take over our faith, and that's what, whether it be fear or worry or grief or anger, or a hatred or jealousy, any of those human emotions, when they get so big in our life, they take us down a path and we cannot see straight. And we saw that with Saul last week. He was not seeing straight. I hope that I helped you understand the whole idea about the prophecy that, that in Hebrew there's two definitions of prophecy. And that when, when self is on the throne and, and the talk that was coming out of Saul's mouth was just so gibberish and, and really made no sense and sometimes it's just a nervous chatter. And, and, but then there's a prophecy that when you are speaking God's words and he is working in this situation, and then did you notice, and I didn't cover this last week, and I, I should have, and so I want to make sure that you're aware, because maybe you did have a question. In chapter 19, before we ended last week, we talked about when Saul was prophesying, and he was, you know, doing his, um, when he was, this, the little S spirit was in charge. Remember it said when that spirit had taken over, and then what was coming out of his mouth was just nothing of worth at all. But then on verse 18, when David, when he was just, he knew he needed help, and he fled to Samuel. And Samuel gave him good counsel. He gave him good encouragement. And then when Saul when Saul heard that he was with Samuel and Ramah, then he sent men to go get him. And then, did you get a little confused? Because it said when those men got there, they saw Samuel prophesying, and, and, and then it said the Spirit of God came on them, and they were prophesying. The Spirit of God, capital S, Spirit. And then Saul sent more men, and then what happened when they, when they got there? Well, the Spirit of God came on them, and they were prophesying capital S spirit. That happened three times. And then Saul himself came. And then you think, okay, what is going on here? Why did the spirit of God come on them? You think about that. It took me a while, but after a while, I thought, of course, if the spirit of God hadn't intervened, what would have happened to David? It had been killed. What a comfort that is. Not only do we have God's spirit living within us as his child, but we can know that the spirit of God is working in situations around us as well. 
If David, if they, if they hadn't had the spirit of God come on them, they would have done what they went to do. Because every time Saul sent a group of men, it was to get him. And then with Saul himself. But that is God's protection. So just, just uh, then we'll get. Now we'll go into chapter twenty-one. So. Remember now, David is coming off um, this whole thing. Saul is out to get him. And um, now Jonathan has helped him to, to escape. And he escapes to, David went to Nob. And he, he went and met this priest named Ahimelech. And Ahimelech probably was a little startled when he saw David and said, why are you here? alone, and why is no one with you? And David, now, I want you to see something. In chapter 21, you're going to watch what happens to David and what happens to you and me when we don't let the Lord get in the picture. When we, when we are trying to handle ourselves. Now, in chapter 21, David goes to the priest and he starts, and you can call it a fib, you can call it a half-truth, or you could, no, he starts lying. So when he was asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? He answered, said, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one else is to know anything about your mission and your instruction. <laughs> I, I don't think that's true. I mean, he, oh, the, Saul has him on a mission or not, uh, all right, but it's fleeing for his life. So, you know, right away he's starting to get on this slippery slope by saying, well, Saul, I'm a, the king charged me with a certain matter and no one's supposed to know. And, and, and by the way, as far as my men, I've been told, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Uh oh, see, once you get going on that. And then he's, you know, he's pretty much hungry. And we, you remember when we read this in Matthew last week, when, when, uh, or last year, when we, when we were in Matthew, how um, when, when uh, Jesus and his disciples, when they were hungry and they were eating on the Sabbath, the grains, um, the, they, pick the grain off, and, and the Pharisees had a fit, and then Jesus said, but don't you remember when David even ate the consecrated bread? And that's, that's exactly right now. So David says to him, I'm hungry. Um, I don't have any food with me, so give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Verse 4, the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread, show bread, holy bread, provided the men have kept themselves from women. <laughs> you know, I always have to smile once in a while in these stories, you know. And, uh, but, you know, David understood that, and that's why he came back. He said, indeed, women have been kept from us, you know. I mean, they know there's an element of, of remaining clean, you know. And so he's saying, no, women aren't, aren't even um, around, and, and my men um, 
you know, they're my, they're my um, warrior men. And so we, we, when we go out to war, no, don't worry about the women. They're not here. They're not going to, they're not going to take away from um, anything. And so he said, okay, um, I have some bread for you. And, and this is the show bread every day. I didn't know this. Every day priests would come, priests would come and change. They would put 12 loaves of holy bread, show bread on the table, and that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, every day they would do that. And then um, it would be warm, and, and then they would take the old bread, and then they would be able to, the priest would be able to eat it. And so anyway, he said, I have that bread. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, capital P, that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken. So it's day old, but I don't think David's fussy. And he's hungry, and, he, and so it, this is all fine, but that, that's the rhyme and reason to this. Um, now, one of Saul's servants was there. Now, look at this. One of Saul's servants, who was Saul's head chap, shepherd, he was Dug the Edomite. Now, that should have been, that's trouble right there. He picked an Edomite to be his head shepherd. And that's going to come back. <laughs> and David, he, it's going to come back for David too. And it should have known this is, not, this is not a good sign. This isn't going to end well. So now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Duke the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear? or sword. I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was so urgent. Didn't you laugh? The king's business was so urgent. Yeah, like I, could, I couldn't pack a bag because I had to get out of there. It was urgent, all right. And he didn't have a sword. Now, can't you tell? He's on this slippery slope. And he now instead, what did he say? What did he say to Goliath? What he, remember what he said to Goliath. This is why you can see a difference in him now. Now he's so worried. Oh, I need a sword. I need a sword. Do you have a sword for me? Now, what did he say to Goliath? You come at me with all the paraphernalia, but I come at you in what? The name of the Lord. So something, see what happens? When you don't, when, you know, life is, yes, I understand that David's in a rough time. It's not easy to have somebody on your tail all the time, ready to kill you and looking over your shoulder. But every one of us understands that life is a total roller coaster. I mean, you know, just like what we prayed tonight, you know, sometimes the things can be going in, in a good motion and we can be maybe at the top of the roller coaster and then all of a sudden, boom, all of a sudden a surprise, something hits and down we go. So life takes us up and down. We can't control that. That is, that's just life. So we've got to know how to deal with life in its ups and downs. And here, David is showing us that, yes, he is not dealing with it right. He doesn't mention the Lord's name. He's trying to run in his own strength. He's trying to, now he needs a sword. 
And Ahimelech says, well, I have the sword of Goliath, the one that you, that you used. It's a, he said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it, there is no sword here but that one. So the, the sword that, that Goliath was carrying, when you faced him with your little slingshot, and you really didn't even need that slingshot either. I mean, the, you came in the name of the Lord God, and you know there was strength and power in the name of the Lord. And now all of a sudden you need this. I'll take it, I'll take it. Look at he says in, in the, ne- the next sentence. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. He's desperate. He knows this is quite the sword. And he, sa- he says, you know, wow, I'm going to be able to use this. Um, and all of a sudden he started thinking, that's, that's going to protect me. What should, he, what should he have been doing? Calling out to the Lord, knowing full well that he doesn't need swords like this. And then I thought, what sword should we be talking about? What sword should he have been talking about? Not Goliath's sword, but the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. And then, then then that makes sense. There is none like it. Give it to me. Then Then I love the verse. If you're talking about the sword of the Spirit, if you're talking about the Word of God, then you better believe it. There's none like it, and you give it to me. So, you know, look how he slipped here. Look how you and I slip. Do we, do we really say in our, in our times of, uh, of, of darkness or, you know, tough circumstances, are we saying, there is none like it, there's no sword like this. Give it to me. Hey, now watch. That day, you can see, look at in this whole chapter, just watch, it just gets worse. He's thinking he needs that physical sword. Now, where does he go? He flees to where? He flees to Philistine territory. And, it, and he's, he's thinking, well, that's logical because I should be safe there because, because um, you know, no one would think about me there. That would be the last place anybody would ever come to look for me, especially Saul he's referring to. So he goes into Philistine territory. Well, see, now watch. God is at work. This isn't coincidence when he walks into town and, and he's trying to be incognito, you know. They notice, they recognize him. That is not coincidence. They looked right at him and said, oh, isn't he the one that they all danced about? Saul's killed the thousands and David's killed the ten thousands. This was God's hand. Even when David wasn't looking to him, the Lord still was there. Oh, that's called grace. That's called promise. When he does what he says. So David took these words to heart, verse 12, and was very much afraid. Look at, now, when he faced the 10-footer, 9-10-footer, he wasn't afraid a bit, was he? Now he's scared to death. So he pretended, he's thinking, oh no, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna kill me, they're gonna, so what can I do, what can I do now? I don't know, I don't know if this was just his, his way of getting out of it or whether the Lord gave him this idea, I don't know, because again, the Lord works in mysterious ways. 
because it did work. I mean, you know, there he is acting like a nutcase. I mean, he's clawing the, he's clawing the, the doors. He's clawing the doors. I mean, a far cry from standing there in front of Goliath, right? And now he's clawing the doors, and he's letting his drool, it says, he's letting saliva run down his beard. Now, I know that's gross enough, but I still had to find out why that was in there. I had to find out. And in Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, if, if a Jew, a, man, a Jewish man would never let saliva run in his beard, that was an insult. It was, it was just intolerable. Those were the words that they used. Jewish men just did not let drool in the, in the beard. There was, they, there was something about that beard. And so the fact that he was letting saliva just, I mean, oh, Achish said to his servants, look at that man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Yeah, Achish is saying, we have enough crazies here. We don't need one more. And I don't need, I don't need to be tending to this guy. I mean, he is a piece of work. So, you know, get him out of here. Well, hooray, you know, it saved David. Okay, so now David, now David, he left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And Adullam means refuge. So he did a lot of hiding in caves. And he, um, when his brothers, and this, this I thought was really really special. It says, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Now, remember what we, we knew about the oldest brother. Remember how he, he was jealous of David and he carried on, you know, saying, you know, why are you here anyway? You know, I know you're just an egomaniac and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, his family comes. And I thought, well, probably, you know, they're probably impressed that David killed Goliath. Maybe that changed his opinion. I don't know. But anyway, the family is there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Now, did you read that over and over to see what kind of group have we got here? It's the most unlikely, unique group you could ever pick. It said all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, all the needy, all the needy, and I'm here to tell you that that's who the Lord loves to use. There was not one in that 400 that said, oh, I got this. Every one of them came in with their hands up saying, we're a mess. I need, the, I need help. But that is who the Lord uses. Anytime you think you can handle it, the Lord's favorite position of us is when we finally surrender and say, there, it's up to you. For there David went, from there David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, see, it's starting 
but he's still not there because he's saying, he says, I got to protect my father and mother. Can, he says to, the, to Moab, he says to the king of Moab, can, can my family stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he's starting to say, you know what? I don't know how my life, this, this, is, this is just a real big question mark. And I better start asking God what his plan is, what he's got for me. And until I get things figured out, can my parents, can my parents stay here in Moab? And I thought to myself, that is a pig in David. Why would you want them in Moab? Just because, because your great-grandma was from there. Just because Ruth came from there, but she got out of there. I don't know what you were thinking, but then there again, the Lord comes through. But the prophet Gad said to David, verse 5, Do not stay in the stronghold. You go back home. You go back to the land of Judah. Come on, you go back. Get things right you have been off course. Don't be afraid. You go back to the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Now, look what Saul does. When Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered, Saul and Saul, spear in hand, was seated under the tree certain tree on the hill at Gibeah with all his officials standing around. Saul said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? So now Saul, can he's so out of it. And again, he, what his words come out, you know, he's saying to them, he calls him the son of Jesse. And by saying this, he doesn't say David, he calls him the son of Jesse. And he says it over again son of Jesse. That's kind of a low blow. Because remember, David came from low means. And by saying the son of Jesse, he's kind of, it's a dig. What do they got? They don't have anything. They have no prestige. They have no, they have no money. They have nothing. So son of Jesse, what, what, what can he do? Will he give you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? See, he is so paranoid. It's everybody's now coming against him. So no one tell me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. See, now he's paranoid that David's out to get him. See, he is in such a desperate state. You hear him paranoid, and you hear him whining. But now, see, look, here's where trouble, I told you. But Duke, the Edomite, was standing with Saul's officials and said, I saw, what a squealer. I saw, but see, he has nothing to lose. He's thinking, I can be a big shot here. I saw the son of Jesse, but see, he didn't say David's name either. He's just following right in with Saul, and he's going to be, you know, the big shot. I saw the son of Jesse come to a Halimelech at Nob. Halimelech required of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king, went for the, then the king sent for the priest to Halimelech. 
when the priest came before Saul, Saul said, listen now. And he and Elimelech, the priest, said, yes, my Lord. Saul said, verse 13, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of the Lord for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Elimelech, I mean, he just, he just says, that's not how it went said, who of all your servants, he's tried to make sense, he's trying to get Saul to see who of all your servants is as loyal as David. See, he calls him by name. The, you're, he's, he's your son-in-law, for crying out loud. He's captain of your bodyguard. He's highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I required a, of, of God for him? And he, he's probably saying, I've done this for him many times. Of course not. Let the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. He's saying, don't accuse me of this. I have no idea what you're talking about. What's going on between you and David, I have no idea. Because remember, David didn't tell him. So he's saying, I have no idea what this whole uproar is about. But the king said, look at this, you will surely die, you and your whole, and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at, at his side, turn and kill the priests in the, of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. So the king said to Doug, you do it. Well, of course, he, he has no problem with it. Look at that day. He killed 85 men. 85 men. Because, see, Nod was a priestly town. And he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women. So not only the priests, but their wives and their children. Sick. Sick. But, again, look at how, this is dark time. Look at that. And, and yet, look at how God sees, this is a coincidence, one of Ahimelech's sons escapes. Just one. And fled to join David. And in verse 21, he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And then David said, look at, then David, see, sometimes you need a real gusto something to wake you up. And this is what David needed to wake him up. Look what he said. That day when Duke the Edomite was there, I knew, I knew that he would, sh that he would sure tell Saul. See, down deep, he knew that this was not going to, and so look what he says. I'm responsible for the death of your father's whole family. All right, now David is starting to get back. Stay with me, don't be afraid. The men who are seeking your life are seeking mine, is seeking mine too. You all be safe with me. So now David, okay, all right, he realizes, oh, look at I 
did. I was away from the Lord, and no, I didn't. I was just so caught up in my own self, and my own fear was taken over, and I just didn't even go to the Lord for help and look at the consequences. See, God's principles always the same. You obey me, I'll bless you. You just obey me, there's going to be consequences. So now he wakes up, and he's, so when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, he inquired, look at verse 2, okay, now we're back. He inquired of the Lord. See, that should always be, that should be our, that should be our first move. Look at what Jehoshaphat, first move. You inquire of the Lord. You resolve to go to the Lord because you've got a choice. Am I going to go to the Lord or am I going to try to figure this out? Chapter 22, you saw what happened. 21 and 22, you saw what happened to David. On his roller coaster of life, you saw when he didn't inquire of the Lord. So now, wake up. He's, he woke up, and now he inquires of the Lord, and he said, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said, you go and attack. Okay, now David's men come. Remember, he's got 400. And these men are saying, I don't know, David. I don't know. You're in Judah. We're afraid. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? I mean, uh, and so what did, they, what did they do? I mean, what can people do when we inquire of the Lord, and yet sometimes it's so tempting to listen to who? self and people around us because look what happened all of a sudden he started second guessing himself you know he's thinking he's listening to those 400 guys and he's saying well yeah maybe you're right you know maybe maybe i jumped the gun here maybe and you start wavering you start second guessing now here's a lesson for you what did david what does david show us when when we start second guessing our decision if we start wavering Verse 4, what does David teach us? If you start questioning or wavering, what should you do? Ask him again. Ask him again. David inquired, and look what the Lord said. He didn't, he didn't get mad. He said, I said, go down to Keilah, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. Okay, now he goes. David and his men fought in the Philistines, and they carried off livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Hooray! So do you think Keilah's happy with David? Should they be happy with David? Let's face it, David saved the day. Remember, the Philistines were coming after Keilah, and the Lord, the Lord said to David, you and your men, you go, and I'll give you victory, and Keilah is saved from annihilation from the Philistines. Should they be a little happy about this? But look, Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah, and he said, God has handed him over to me, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. I'll tell you, you can see, you, and I had a question about that. It is so easy to twist, to twist scripture around and even say, oh, God told me. Just remember, God will never tell you anything that's contrary to his word. And so when, when Saul said, oh, God has handed him over to me. Remember, he is in no frame of mind with a little less spirit in total control. 
There's no way he's hearing the Lord anyway. But boy, doesn't he sound religious? Doesn't he sound godly? Doesn't that sound convincing? Hey, you got to be careful with God told me. You really, this was totally contrary to God's word. He was not in the frame of mind to hear God at all. He, this was, it just sounded good. And so he said it this way. Thought, okay, I got an excuse now to go after him. Well, now this is where I felt sorry for David because David learned that Saul was plotting against him. He said to the priest, bring the ephod. David said, oh, Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on economy. Saul's so mad that I saved this town. See, he's not thinking straight. Should have been glad that a, a Israel town was saved from the Philistines. But see, he's just so mad at David. He's not even thinking straight. So... He's going to come to Keilah, and he's going to destroy the whole town. Makes no sense at all. So he says, will the citizens of Keilah, I want to know, Lord, are, will the citizens, after, you know, after what me and my men and what you allowed us to do for the town, um, will, they, will they surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your, ser as your servant has heard? O oh Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. Is Saul coming? Will they hand me over? And the Lord said, he will. Saul's coming down. And David said, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? I mean, I, I'm sure that question was, I can't believe it. You, would they really do that? And the Lord said, they will. That was a warning. And so that had to been major disappointment, don't you think? But then it, it, gets, it gets worse. And I can see, still there's no excuse, but I can understand why David now then um, starts to waver a little bit because it says that David fled from Keilah. In verse 14, David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. The desert of Ziph, that's another Israel territory, and the Ziphites, verse 19, the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horsh on the hill of Hakala, south of, well, now, O king, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for handing him over to the king. Now, the Zittites, they were from the tribe of Judah. They should have been brothers with David. So what a disappointment there. He, he goes there thinking, okay, th these are, this is from the tribe of Judah. You know, I'm from the tribe of Judah. W you know, we'll stick together here. We're brothers, you know, tribe of Judah. <laughs> and what are they going to do? And turn them over. You know, you read this and you put yourself in this story and you think, that was not easy. Two great big disappointments, Keilah and and Ziphites. So then Saul replied, the Lord bless you for your concern for me. Oh, of course, you know. And then, then I have to say, I went through the rest of chapter 23, and I saw words like, 
in verse 23, I will track him down. Can you imagine what that must be like if you know you're being tracked like an absolute animal? Verse 25, Saul and his men began the search. Verse 25, the word pursuit. They were in a pursuit. I mean, Saul was not going to stop until he got David. And the only way that he didn't get David is because God intervened. And look at all of a sudden, in verse 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly. The Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. Now, who do you think did that? See, among this, this, is, this should be so encouraging to you and I. God is always there, even though it doesn't look like it right now for David. So then David flees to En Gedi. And after Saul, verse chapter 24, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, then he goes back, right back at it. And he hears that David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 men. 3,000 men to get, to get David and his 400 men. And he set out to get them. And he came to the sheep pens, verse 3, along the way a cave was there. So Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, did you read that and think, you know, that's a little more than I need to know. <laughs> you know, it, it, but, but then I have to think to myself, there's not one thing in Scripture that, that is a waste so I thought, okay, I'm going to think, why does the Bible want me to know that Saul went into the cave to relieve himself? Now, he's got 3,000 men. And usually those 3,000 men are what? Right by him. He wants a little privacy. So that's the only time that he's going to be able to go into a cave alone. See, that's not, this isn't, again, it's not coincidence. It's about the only bodily function that he could do privately. And so he went into the cave to relieve himself. Well, David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. For, for one split second there, David thought, yeah, that's right. And he cuts off a piece of Saul's robe. And then it's like, you know, he comes to his senses. And all of a sudden, his conscience, he realized. So chapter 24 and chapter 26, I'm sure you saw, it was two episodes where David was right there. He could, he could have killed Saul as sure shooting. And both times he said this. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. I mean, only someone who is back in a right relationship with the Lord can say that about someone who has pursued him and who has searched him like an animal, tracked him. But now he realizes, you know what? He's my master. He's the king. <laughs> and I don't want to get political here, but I thought to myself, Oh, if, I, if the world would just see that sometimes you might not agree or like someone in the position, but we have to respect the office. We have to pray for those in authority over us. And we have to recognize that when whoever's, you know, what did Paul say? Those in authority over us have been put there by God. 
And sometimes we need to get brought back to that. And I think, I think David was brought back, even though Saul, I'm sure, he, didn't, he was not one of David's favorite people. And yet he still was king. He still had the office. And he said, I cannot, I cannot go against the Lord's anointed. And then down in verse 8, my Lord the king, when, when, when David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord the king, and when Saul looked behind him, David bowed and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Boy, this is respect. When he could have killed him. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David has been unharming you? The day you, this day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, he even called him my father. Look at this piece of robe in my hand, proof to you. And then he said, in this chapter and in chapter 26, both, he, he knows, he said, it is not up to me. And I, and I wrote in my Bible, Romans 12, 17, starting with verse 17, where Paul said that the Lord says, it is my to, mine to revenge. It is not up to you. I will take care of things. It is mine to revenge, says the Lord. And David quotes, he quotes that. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. He's not saying that. That's okay, you did it to me. He's saying, I'm gonna let the Lord deal with it. What a great lesson. When someone has wronged us, what is our first human response when someone has wronged us? A payback, <laughs> payback. And again, what a great lesson for us to see here. And he, he was right. I mean, the, the Lord did say that. I'll take care of it. So when David finished verse 16, saying all this, Saul said, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. That's about the best thing you've said in a long time, Saul. You've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. And then verse 20, he, he admits, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my, fam my father's family. Now, you know, David does. I mean, David gave the oath to Saul, but it didn't work out that way. And I'm here to say we can promise all we want, but if the Lord's plan, the Lord's got his perfect will in motion, and uh, Saul and his family, they were cut off. And because that's what, that's what, uh, Samuel told Saul was going to happen. Your own fault. You can blame only your own self, Saul, for that. <clears throat> hey, in chapter 25, we see this story, and we've, we've gone through this story before, but it's, it's, a, it's a good one. See, you know, David and his men, they're, they're out, and they need food, and they need protection, and so they go to Nabal, and because they, they wanted... Um, well, they, they knew that they had done for Nabal what they're asking Nabal for now. It's like, fair is fair. Hey, we've done for you. Now will you, it's your time to help us. And Nabal gets word and says, uh, who's David? Now, do you think there's anybody in the land that doesn't know who David is by now? So, you know, um, 
he is, he too is not thinking straight, but it shows his character. It says he's surly, you know, he's very self-centered, he's very, you know, pompous, he's, you know, and um, it too will come back to get him. And so as the story is told, the servants um, know that when they bring this message to David and when they hear David say, put on your sword, they know that we're in trouble. David, now here, I asked you about weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. And even a man after God's own heart, human weaknesses that keep wanting to, to raise their head. Now, we've seen that um, David's going to have other weaknesses. But, you know, right now, he is what? He's so mad. This is a weakness of David. He's, he, he's short-fused. I mean, he's a warrior and all that, but he is a short fuse, and he doesn't even think straight. He just gets so mad, and he says, get on your swords, and he says, may the Lord deal with me so severely if I don't kill every one of Nabal's family. So he is out for revenge. Well, the servant knows don't go to Nabal because he, he's not the one. He's not the, he's not the intellectual one. He's not the reasonable one. So they go to Abigail. Abigail, she is not only intelligent and beautiful, but under pressure, you can tell the Lord is using Abigail in this. So he, he's using her so mightily. And he's given her a presence of mind, even under pressure, to get all this together and she goes along, she goes along, and as she sees and that David, she's coming near to David, verse 23, Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David, and she fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Now, what did she do? Nothing, but she took the blame. Please let your servant speak to you. Please. Please let me speak to you. May the Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. From verse 26 all the way to 31, I got to tell you, she gave a talk. I don't want to say his speech, but she poured out her heart. And she had words that were so perfect. You talk about, and again, we've been promised that, that the Lord will give us the words to say when we need them. And the words, what would happen if Abigail, I mean, David saw it in verse 32. If Abigail hadn't said what she said, if she wasn't willing to do what the Lord wanted her to do and say what he wanted, needed her to say, David said to Abigail, verse 32, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day. The whole table could have been changed. The whole story could have been changed. How the Lord, if that's why when you inquire of the Lord and you go to the Lord when under pressure and you, you, I'll tell you, his Holy Spirit, that's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs 
It's to calm you down, to, give, to get you in his word, to get you to, to see that he will, he will be your best advice giver, your best counselor. It will show you what next move to make. I thought, there again, what would have happened? God's hand was in this, and he was using Abigail. He then just jumped to down 27, because we've already covered 26. <clears throat> but in both instances, in, in 25 or in 24 and 26, can you see how you can take out a context scripture to meet your what you wanted to say? And um, remember, we should always we should always take a verse, but then see in the context it was written in. You know, it's kind of like, you know, um, Jeremiah 29, you know, or, where we take out that verse, for the Lord knows plans, yes, for us, plans to prosper us and give us a future, you know. I mean, we love to take that verse out and say, well, see, it's just going to work out everything. It's just everything's going to be fine. But in the context, he's telling the, the people of Judah who are going into captivity to Babylon, you hold on tight because after 70 years, the Lord will bring you back because he's got plans for you, plans that will prosper and give you a future. And what were the plans that he had for the people of Judah? David's line, bring us a savior. The kingdom of Israel had already been annihilated by this, by, um, the, in their captivity. There was just a remnant of people left. And that's the God's grace, making sure that there's always a people that will continue this line to eventually, that, that's what the old, whole Old Testament's about, through it all, to get us a Savior. But that's Jeremiah 29. God had plans, and that was to bring Jesus here. And that's, it's not always that he's going to make everything fine and wonderful. It means that we always have to stay tight and inquire of him. And yes, he always has plans for us, but we shouldn't want anything but what his plans are. Now, in chapter 27, boy, you know, David took a dive. And I mean a real dive. And again, I know that roller coaster of life, you know, this poor kid, this poor guy. Oh, by the way, it took about a decade or more to get David from the shepherd's field when he was anointed by Samuel to when he finally became king. It's, it's, so it's, you know, a decade or more. And but what, do, what is God doing in that decade or more? What is he doing to you and I? Preparing, getting us ready. Every day is a preparation for tomorrow. He knew what David was going to be up against. He knew what David was going to be doing. He had to get David ready. He knew he had a, he had a guy that, that loved him, and, but he also knew that he was a human being and the roller coasters of life, he wasn't real steady. And so he was going to have to teach him how to be steady, even in hard times. So look at verse, verse 1 of chapter 27. But David thought to himself... Now, did you, when you read that, I hope you didn't read it too fast because that should have been your first clue that we're, we're heading for trouble. And what is that? When David thought to himself, what did I say is the best thing when he inquires of the Lord? The minute he starts thinking to himself, how am I going to, look what he thinks to himself. One of these days, 
One of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. David, why aren't you looking in the past and seeing how he's kept him, kept you safe, using his spirit? And How in the world can you let fear take over you now when you've watched him get you out of every situation? But no, he's thinking to himself, not once inquiring of the Lord, one of these days, Saul's going to get me. And then look, this, this too, this should have told you we're getting for trouble. The best thing, what? I can do. Oh. Best thing I can do is escape. See, trying to, he's trying to figure it out himself. So he's thinking to himself, Saul's going to get me. The emotions are taking over. I better do something. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go to the land of the Philistines. Come on, did you learn? When you went back there before, I'll just go back to the Philistines. Then Saul will give up and search for me. And see, he's trying to figure it out himself. Now, before you get too mad at David, I think we all have been there before too. We've, we've been through this before and we fall right back into it again, feeling... Will he really supply my needs? Will he really be there? And doubt and how come you really don't know he holds your future? You can sing it and it feels great, but if you know he holds your future, then come on, let's act like it. And this is what happened with David here. He forgot. So David, now he's got 600 men. Now they go, so David and 600 men went with him left and went over to Achish, the king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives. So they bring the whole family with them, and now they're in Philistin territory with the king of Gad, and everybody's happy, right? So, look at verse 6. So, on that day, Achish gave him Ziglag. Now, that was, that, was an, that was Israel territory, but it was controlled by the Philistines. So, um, but he gave um, Ziglag to, to David and his, and his crew so they could have their own little town right in the middle of Philistine land. And believe it or not, look at David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. And really, Ziglag, and it was it has belonged to the kings of Judah um, ever since. But just keep in mind, Ziglag was Philistine territory at that time, it was still run by Philistines. And this is David and all his men and his families all just live happily ever after right now. That's what they think for a year and four months. And he started, he started fighting for the Philistines. Did you know that that's what David did? I, di I have to say, I did not know that he took such a dive here because he thought to himself and he tried to figure out how he could handle it instead of going to the Lord. And look at verse 12. This isn't sad. Akers trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious, which means repulsive, to his own people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. That's the way. That's, that's the setting right now. People hate David. They're repulsed against him. 
Achish thinks, oh good, I got this big warrior and all his men. Now, we're going for we're gonna go and now talk about Saul for a little bit. Okay? Now, chapter 28, and what a chapter that is. Chapter 28, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself that your ser- what your servant can do. See, he's proud of it. You're going to see I am an asset to you. Achish replied, very well, I'll make you my bodyguard for life. Okay, now that's the, that, keep that in mind there. Okay, now verse 5. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was terrified. He was afraid. Filled, terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord. See, a little late, he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him. In fact, the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. That Urim, that's, that, that's something that the Israelites, the priests, did when you needed special guidance. And so, anyway, you're just going to have to trust me or look it up yourself. But there was, that, that meant he was trying everything. Saul was trying everything. And the Lord was saying, no, you know what? I'm done. That's kind of scary, isn't it? It's kind of scary to think. And the Lord has every right to do whatever he wants. And he's saying to Saul, enough. So then look at Saul. Instead of pleading with the Lord or whatever, or repenting or whatever is necessary because, you know, the, you know, Lord, if we confess our sins. and But no, no, he, no, okay, Lord, if you're not going to do it for me the way I want it, then I will find myself a medium. I'll find a woman here who is a medium so I, may, I can go inquire to her and she'll tell me what I want to know. See, that's why the Lord didn't answer. He didn't surrender to, to the Lord he just wanted to use him when he thought he could get some information. And the Lord said, no, it'll work that way. So anyway, he goes to this medium. And wasn't that an interesting chapter for you? So he says, he, he dresses up as someone else. And he says to this medium, consult a spirit for me. Little as spirit. So he, he knows Verse 9, but the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off all the mediums and spirits from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? So Saul, in his good moments, said, no more of this. No more of this, you know, devil kind of medium stuff. So he said, Saul swore to her by the Lord. See, whenever, whenever the Lord, is, his name is good, you know, for you, like, I'll swear by the Lord's name. You know, he thought that that would give her, give an advantage to her. So he said, so Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he says, bring up Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice, said, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like? An old man wearing a robe is coming up. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Oh... You know, I'm thinking there's no way the Lord would use a medium. So is this not Samuel? And then I thought, 
It is Samuel because he said everything. He said word for word what he had said to Saul. And that's why he said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and you become, verse 16, and you've become your, and from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. I told you. Would he kill everybody with it when you went, when you took the Amalekites and you kept the king and all the best of the animals? I told you. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. So in other words, it's going to happen. So who is this? You know, is it Samuel? And and I don't know, but I think it is. But did the medium bring up Samuel? Not in your life. And the only thing that I could think of was sometimes the Lord works in very mysterious ways. And Saul had to hear this message, and the only way he was going to hear it was through this woman. Now, I don't believe for a second she brought up Samuel. I believe if this is Samuel, the Lord did it, and that was to get a message across to Saul. So now, um, chapter 29, the Philistines, um, and David is fighting for the Philistines, but there's some Philistines that say, you know what, I don't quite trust, trust David. He could turn his back on us so quick, and then, and then what have we gotten? So they came to King Achish and said, as surely, in verse 6, as surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable. Or no, 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 um, verse 4. But the Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, send the man back, and he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us to battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. So Achish called David and said, as surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. Look at verse eight. David says, but what have I done? He, he, he fought to stay. Oh, so does the Lord have to do something to wake him up again? This kid is so far gone, the Lord's got to do another blinger to wake him up. So they went back, chapter 30, David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. So see, that was their home, their, their home territory in Philistine land, but it was given to them. When they got back to Ziglag, look what the Lord had done. He had worked an enemy to come through because, look, now the Amalekites, he, he rose, the Lord rose the Amalekites, another enemy of Israel. He rose them up to destroy that town that they really had no business being in. Everything was burned. Women and children were kidnapped. Verse 3, when David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. All, all of his men, all the families were gone. All their belongings were, were burned up. They have nothing In fact, they're even thinking about killing David. 
Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking to stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons, because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. See what I mean? Was that a big thing to wake him up? Okay, the Lord used a little um, Egyptian boy to, to come in, and sure enough, you know, David inquired of the Lord. So now David is able to overcome these men. That's the rest of the chapter. And what is this whole 10 chapters about? I hope you can see there's a pattern. Next week, we don't have to go through every verse, but this week, I wanted you to see in these 10 chapters, there's such a roller coaster of life pattern going on. It's every one of us. Life is tough, and we're going to have good days and bad days, but can't you see that as his child, the Lord has a plan for you, and he has got you. But if you don't wake up, he will, he will, he will do something. He loves you that much to, to wake you up, to get you back on track, Everything that Samuel came back to repeat to Saul happened. You saw that in the 31st chapter. Saul, his three sons, they were all killed. And yet, did you notice? People still respected. They still took the sons off the wall because they put their bodies up there and they took Saul and they cut off his head and so they took all the pieces and they burned them all together but then took the ashes and they, they buried him and they respected him for who he was, the king anointed of God. So it was a big lesson but I hope you can see that it's so real to your life and my life we want a heart after God's. We want to be David. But look at life is hard. It was for David. It's for you. But what do we have to do? And the key words, inquire of the Lord. Because if you think to yourself and you think you can handle it on your own, I hope the 10 chapters prove to you. So with that, go and have a great week. <laughs>